Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, June 16th. I hate to say it, Thursday's action, really more of the same of what we've seen here in week two of the 2022 ATP and WTA grass court season. The players we highlighted early in the week, the Onjabours, Belinda Benchiches, Daniil Medvedevs of the world, they continue to find success at the five WTA and ATP events happening this week across the globe, of course, on today's show. I want to recap all of Thursday's action, talk about those players who continue to thrive, in particular on the women's side in Berlin. Onjabur, Belinda Bencic, Coco Goff. If they're not top five, certainly, I think all top 10 candidates to take home the 2022 Wimbledon title. Each of them earning victories on Thursday, all in various fashions. I want to talk about what allows each of them to have success on these grass courts. I know I highlight Goff's efforts in particular yesterday, so I'll be a bit briefer on her today. But again, you look at the action in Berlin, a lot of top seeds having success. I want to run through all of the day's matches, including the thriller three sets between Kudermatova and Samsonova. Of course, I want to talk about all of the day's WTA action. That means highlighting the play in Birmingham, where we saw another three set thriller, arguably our best match of the day. Diana Yastremska knocking off top seed Yelena Ostapenko. 7-5 in the third set, of course. Yastrzemska has shown many flashes of success throughout her young career, but today was a particular reminder of the talent the young player possesses. Of course, I want to highlight again what makes her special, what allowed her to get over the finish line in that match against Ostapenko. And you look, by the way, in Birmingham, all four matches going three sets, a nice offset to yesterday's straight set performance in all four of the singles matches we saw, of course, Again, there's another WTA 125K event happening in Italy. Want to touch on that as well. Cover all of the action happening on the WTA Tour, of course, on the men's side. As I mentioned, Daniil Medvedev, he continues to rock and roll. Another straight set victory for him, this time over Ilya Avashka. Of course, you look at the other results we saw on the day in Hala. Seeds Roberto Bautista, Gut, Karen Hatchinov continuing to advance. How about Oscar Ota, the 28-year-old I call a rich man? Max Cressy having a career season, another quarterfinal for him. This time, it's on the shoulders of a victory over Nicolas Basilashvili, 7-6 in the third. We can talk about what makes Ota particularly frisky heading into Wimbledon and, of course, highlight all of the day's action in Hala. Highlight the action. Highlight. Sorry, that was a Hala and highlight blended together. That happens from time to time when you talk as much as I do here on these podcasts, but I want to go from Hala to London. Talk Talk about... I suppose another surprise day. I mean, was Sarundalo a definitive favorite over wildcard Ryan Peniston? I would argue probably not. Sarundalo doesn't exactly have that rich of a grass court track record as such to see the wildcard Peniston advance in three sets over Sarundalo continue this dream run in London. Uh, just another fantastic storyline for us in the grass court season. Last week it was Van Reithoven. This week it's Peniston. Want to talk about what a allows the lefty to continue to advance. And then maybe a career day from Tommy Paul in a straight set victory over Stan Wawrinka, Matteo Berrettini, Philip Krajinovic advancing. There again, sneak peek of your winners on the ATP Tour, but we'll talk Hala, we'll talk London here on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do all of that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Sincerely means the world to me. So many of you choosing to comment on things we discuss here on the podcast, reach out to 
to us via at Cracked Rackets, at A.L. Gruskin on Twitter. We want to make this a platform for open discussion of all of the biggest storylines happening across the tennis world. I know I happen to be the one with the microphone, but I love incorporating opinions from all of you listeners. Love hearing what all of you have to think about the latest and greatest happenings on the ATP and WTA Tour. So, of course, if you wish to continue to engage with us, you can leave a comment at Apple Podcasts on Spotify. Leave that five-star rating. Of course, we always appreciate that. It helps us with the computers. I always appreciate the feedback as well. So please feel encouraged to take the 35 seconds to go and do that. Of course, to all of you who are looking for more content, head on over to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of our coverage. Of course, it's already Wimbledon preview week next week. As such, we'll be talking about the men's and women's contenders, the men's and women's dark horses, the biggest storylines heading into the event, and so much more. The Americans, how could I forget that? A standard part of our Grand Slam preview content. We'll have all of that for you listeners next week across our various platforms. I imagine that'll all be on the Great Shot podcast feed as we'll save this mini break podcast feed to recap all of next week's events. But busy times here at Crack Rackets. Of course, we've got the SoCal Pro Circuit every weekend. You can watch some of the rising stars on the ATP and WTA Tour compete over the next four weeks in the San Diego and Los Angeles areas. Of course, Futures events, 15Ks. We get to broadcast semifinal Saturday, Championship Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Maybe you're going to need a two-hour, three-hour break from all of your Father's Day's festivities on Sunday. Come enjoy that break with us. Enjoy some high-caliber tennis as well. Again, that's SoCal Pro Series uh, on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Cover be- coverage begins Saturday about 1 p.m. Eastern time. I imagine that coverage continues Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Again, that's what's coming up for all of you here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, one final shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, the lifeblood of this podcast who help make these episodes possible day in, day out. Of course, they also help making you find the newest gear, the easiest thing in the world. All you got to do is go to their website, tennis-point.com. You're going to see it all. And I won't lie. I was browsing that racket section of the website once again. I think if I'm going to switch rackets, I'm going to go to a Yonix racket. I just think that frame feels most similar to my Prince Graphite. I just don't know if I'm good enough anymore for a Wilson. I'm not a Babolat guy. I've never been athletic enough to just swing freely. That's not me. I need a little bit more grit to my racket, but I won't lie. Did I lose an hour and a half of the day looking at all the various frames, the various paint jobs, the various models? Of course I did. That's what every tennis fan, super uh, tennis super fan, excuse me, ultimately has happen whenever they check out some sort of tennis store. Of course, the best store for you to turn to, tennis-point.com. And of course, when you inevitably do choose to treat yourself, and by the way, you've earned it. Go treat yourself. Use our promo code crack, uh, CR15. Excuse me. When you do, you'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. A free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. And, of course, best of all, you'll let them know that we sent you there. So, of course, again, we are so grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. The least we could do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com. Symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it. Talk about Thursday's action on the ATP and WTA Tour. We'll start with the WTA action in Berlin. I believe Berlin's matches today were the most reasonable forecast, perhaps, most relevant forecast for what we can expect over the next two weeks at the year's third Grand Slam. That is Wimbledon, of course, the best match of the day in Berlin. The matchup between Veronica Kudermatova and Ludmilla Samsonova. Kudermatova continuing her exceptional form here in 2022 into another quarterfinal, this time in three sets over Samsonova. Of course, both of those players of Russian descent as such. They will not 
be allowed to compete in the main draw of the 2022 Wimbledon. I'll get back to that match momentarily because that was outstanding tennis. But in terms of the implications moving forward, you look at your three other victors on the day, two of which won in straight sets. That's top seed Own Jabour, 6-2-7-6. Over Alicia Parks, of course, you also had Coco Goff, a 6-love, 6-4 victory over Wang Shin Yu. Let's start with the top seed Own Jabour, who did a fantastic job in today's match absorbing the incredible power tennis of Alicia Parks. Of course, you look for Parks, certainly the qualifier, having a career week, getting through qualifying, beating Jung Chin Wen in round one for the 21-year-old, came into the week, ranked number 169. You look for Parks. Now she comes out of it at a new career high live ranking of number 135 for 99% of 21-year-olds. That's exactly where you'd ask to be in the rankings at this point of your career. Parks can play power tennis. Simply put, when she's landing that plus one ball, when she's landing her serve, I don't care who she's playing against. She's going to keep herself competitive in the match. And it was Jabour's ability to problem solve through that power tennis, to not get flustered by the boomer bust nature of some of the park's ground stroke, to not let the fact that this match for the majority, particularly in the second set, was played on Parks' terms. Parks was the one exploding through the court. Parks was the one whom Own Jabour was trying to disrupt the rhythm of. It wasn't Jabour on top of the baseline, taking balls on the rise, incorporating her drop shot at will, finding the short angles easily. Of course, there were points in the match, particularly on serve, when Onjabur was able to do that. And in the first set, Onjabur, you know, making 63% of her first uh, serves, winning over 65% of her points on serve for the match. Jabour was able to play front foot tennis behind her serve. She was able to match the plus one grass court first strike tennis needed to have success on this surface. But then that second set, it was just a testament to plans B, C, D, the various problem solving and you know uh, the various problem uh, capabilities for Own Jabour, excuse me, to problem solve through these matches and incorporating the slice in particular, slicing that ball deep to the forehand wing of Alicia Parks, using that down the line slice, such a difficult shot to execute because if you leave it short, of course, there's just so much open court to attack. And on these grass courts, a sitting forehand, are they going to go behind you? Are they going to take the open ankle cross court? You're just a sitting duck. The depth Jabour was able to generate with that slice, it just disrupted the rhythm of Alicia Parks, was able to get that ball deep into that forehand wing. She's got a bigger backswing on that side as such, just didn't quite have enough time to always explode through that ball or that's when the errors would come. But again, Credit to Parks, who the service stats do not look the most kind for. She wins 59% of her first serve points, 38% of her second serve points. And of course, moving forward for Parks, that will be the big thing. Whenever Jabour was able to get Parks on her back foot, was able to take a return early on the rise, assert control of the point. The defensive skills aren't quite there for Parks. It is a little bit boomer bust. Again, when she's landing the first serve, landing the first strike, some of the down the line forehand she was able to generate, you're just like, wow, I don't know anyone. I mean, it's not that I don't know anyone else who can do that, but that's how it looks when it looks at its best. That's the sort of explosion Parks has off the racket. And of course, you look for Alicia Parks. Again, I mentioned uh, into the top 135. You don't have that without some success. Now she's 28 and 35 over her last 52 weeks, but made 60K finals at the start of 2022 and has been trying to push herself to the higher levels. Been playing the 100Ks in Palm Harbor, in Bonita Springs, in Charleston, playing the 100K in Serbatin as well. She's pushing herself to get, you know, acclimated to that next level. Players who like Shabur now have the physicality to match some of the power tennis that she's able to play. But I'll tell you what, again, in that second set, the story was Alicia Parks and the power she presented. But that's why Jabour has to be considered top 10 
if not top five, a top five contender heading into the 2022 Wimbledon. Of course, you look at some of the advanced metrics, and I haven't referenced these in a while, but yesterday I took the time to go look up the top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs. For those of you who are new to this, the top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs via the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. Those players that rank top 25 or better in both hold or break percentage on the women's side Overall, there are six plus seven, uh, six plus, uh, excuse me, one, two, three, four, five, 11 women who rank inside the top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Own Jabour is one of them. So from the advanced metrics perspective, top 11 there, you look for her overall in the rankings right now, Jabour, sixth in the live ranking, second in the points ranks, you look for Own Jabour, third in overall ELO rating, third in in 2021 specific ELO rating trailing only Sviantec and the one month reign that was Ashley Barty so you take Barty out of the equation she's second in both of those categories perhaps most tellingly again you remove Ashley Barty she also has the second best grass court specific ELO rating of any women's tennis player on tour of course you look for Own Jabour in her career on grass courts 43 and 15 overall now a lot of that came out at the 50K level back in 2013, 2014, and 100K success back in 2018. But you want to go since her breakthrough at the WTA level in 2019. Well, since that stretch, she made semifinals Eastbourne 2019, finals Birmingham 2021, where, of course, she won the title. She makes quarterfinals last year at Wimbledon, beating Sviantec, beating Muguruza, you know, followed up her East, uh, Birmingham final with a round of 16, three-set loss to Ostapenko, who went on to win that Eastbourne title. The resume for Own Jabour on grass courts, as exceptional as any player you're going to find. And that's because she possesses the complete package. She's able to absorb your first strike. She's anticipates extraordinarily well. She has a strong first step. And so when she can guess accordingly, she's going to be able to track down whatever is thrown at her and at least force you to hit a second shot. And then again, it's the creativity, the improvisational skills, the fact that she can hit an on-the-run slice and make it look competent, the fact that she can find the angle, she can blitz you and beat you to the spot and go flat down the line off both wings. And then again, it's the success on serve for Own Jabour. You look for Jabour overall here now in terms of the success she has had over these last three seasons and what she continues to get better at. She's now breaking serve 41.4% of the time this season. That's a career high. And again, right now she's in the top tens in terms of break percentage. Now the hold percentage, 71.2, which while above her career average is beneath the 76.4% threshold she hit last season. She's serving better right now on these grass courts, picking her spot so well, defending her plus one. Again, in a season of erratic play, in a season of never knowing who is going to emerge on any given week, Own Jabour has emerged in just about every event she's played. You look for her this season, 27-9 and overall on the year. Only one first-round loss for her. That came in Indian Wells. Three sets to Gavrilova. Uh, excuse me, two first-round losses for her. Obviously, Magda Lynette at Roland Garros as well. Those are the two outliers. And again, disappointing, certainly, and that's why she doesn't have a firm grasp on the number two spot in the rankings because in two pivotal moments, Indian Wells, Roland Garros, unfortunately, two three-set losses for her. But again, I would point out still three-set losses. The other losses, Rome final, Iga Sviantec, she won the Madrid title, Charleston final, Bencic, Miami round of 16, Collins, Doha quarterfinal, Conteve, Dubai quarterfinal, Halep, Sydney quarterfinal, Conteve. There's not a bad match on Own Jabour's resume this season outside of the two first round losses. And again, she's had two outliers and those two outliers is why despite that, again, the ability to take foot a foothold and take hold of that number two spot in the rankings position, those two losses are why she hasn't done it. But that's it. She's chalked off every other checkbox you'd want to see from her this season and just 
her, you know, again, the ceiling to floor ratio, you go watch that Roland Garros first round match against Magda Lynette. Jabour didn't serve particularly well, but she didn't play poorly. Lynette was just in another universe and matched her level and played exceptional tennis. I really do think Own Jabour is probably the safest bet on the WTA tour right now, not named Iga Sviantek. And again, all of the advanced metrics, one of 11 women who's top 25 in both hold and break percentage this season. Second in over overall ELO rating, second in yearly ELO rating, second in grass court uh, specific ELO rating. What more do you want to say? Own Jabour has to be considered a front runner at the 2022 Wimbledon. And unfortunately, I just ruined one of my contender segments because I will certainly have her in my top five. I will certainly be making that case once again next week when we really get into previewing the year's third grand slam now, with all of that said, I don't want to give away the entire top five list, certainly. I think you can imagine at least now two of the five names that will be on it, but two players who continue to make a case for themselves to be top five contenders, certainly number seven seed Coco Goff, who just again, and I'll go through this one quickly. If you want to hear the full case for Goff, go check out yesterday's podcast. I talked about her track record of grass court success, making multiple round of 16s in her two Wimbledon appearances. She just looks so comfortable physically on these grass courts and Look, Wang Xinyu, the talented young Chinese woman who she took on today, Wang Xinyu has, you know, risen quickly into the top 100 of the WTA rankings on the back of the power tennis she's able to play. Her backhand can explode through a court. It didn't matter today. And even for the moments when Wang Xinyu was able to get a first serve into the Coco Golf forehand or was able to get a big first strike into the Coco Golf forehand, Goff has just gotten better on that wing. And right now, and it makes sense given she's coming off of the first Grand Slam final in her career, but right now, she's just playing so confidently, swinging so freely. I mean, she won 23 of 28 points on first serve today against Wang Xinyu. She won 7 of 13 second serve points. Yes, she was broken once, but she generated 14 break points for herself, was able to break 5 of the, what, 6 plus 10, 16, 5 of the 8 service games Wang Xinyu served. Coco Goff was able to secure the break. She raced out to a 4-love lead despite some 15-love, 30-15 deficits in those early games. She struck the first serve confidently. She continued to look confident moving forward. Her How complete her game is, her how well-rounded her skill set is, her comfort level and confidence moving forward, her comfort level and confidence defensively, her ability, again, to change direction in the outer third of this court. And then the weapon that is Coco Goff's first serve. Now, Coco Goff is not one of the players, one of the 11 who ranks top 25 in both hold and break percentage, but Goff currently at a new career high, number 12 in the live rankings. Goff is currently fourth, fourth in the WTA points race. It goes Sviantec, pretty much the entire rest of the, you know, again, the gap between Sviantec and the rest of the field, laughable. It's over 4,000 points. We're not even at Wimbledon. Wimbledon's not offering points. Sviantec's 4,000 points ahead of the field. That's ridiculous. There are four Americans in the top 10 right now. Pagula, Goff, Collins, Keys. Again, Pagula third, crazy. Goff is fourth right now in the WTA points race, 10th in overall ELO. She's now up to two, four, six, eight, ninth in grass court specific ELO. And, you know, again, for her yearly ELO, Coco Goff currently eighth based on the strength of her schedule and her performances. There's a strong case to be made for Goff as a top five candidate to win this Wimbledon. I expect I will not be the only one who contemplates making it throughout the course of next week. But again, Goff just too well-rounded, too many different ways to take away what Wang Xinyu wanted to do. That's how she's ultimately able to advance. The other seed who looked exceptional, Belinda Bencic, 6-4-1-6-6-1. She earns a victory over Allen and Callan Sky. Now, how can you say, Alex, she lost a set 6-1. How could she look exceptional? For two reasons. A, for Belinda Bencic, she had just beaten Kalinskaya a week prior, and I don't care about the gap between their two rankings. It is damn near impossible. That is hyperbole. It is very, very difficult to beat a player twice 
uh, two weeks consecutively. Uh, at that point, you know their secrets. You saw their serve. Belinda Benchett, someone who thrives on power tennis, taking the ball early, you know, beating you to the spot. You know that now. You've seen that now. You understand the tactical adjustments you have to make if you're Anna Kalinskaya. And again, it was a back and forth first set, 6-4. Benchich ultimately takes it. Benchich particularly effective on serve, made 75% of her first serves, 19 of 21 on first serve points. Belinda Benchich was not broken in set number one. And again, there wasn't much Kalinskaya could do. Now, she was executing well on her own serve. She was attacking the Benchich forehand with her serve, and that's the side you have to attack because Benchich so smooth off that backhand wing. But the forehand backswing gets a little big. She's prone to chipping and blocking that forehand return as opposed to swinging through it, giving Kalinskaya opportunities to attack, and Kalinskaya took them, attacking that plus one ball, comfortable swinging the backhand inside in, inside out, and, you know, again, was able to get an early break of Benchich in set number two and was able to comfortably hold serve, but then Benchich, whose first serve dropped from 76% to 47% in, uh, excuse me, from 75% to 47% in set number two, she steadied the ship. Of course, for Kalinskaya, first serve percentage went from 86 to 46 between sets two and three. But Benchich threw out you know, set number three, 11 of 14 on first serve points. She didn't face a break point in that third set. She just continues to attack, continues to swing freely. And I continue to make this point, but she's finally healthy and able to play a year consecutively. And you see that reflected in her fitness, her physicality. No one will ever accuse Belinda Benchich of being the quickest player on the WTA Tour, but certainly much like a Taylor Fritz, she's taken the movement from bad to good enough. And with her weapons, good enough is, dare I say, good enough. So Belinda Bencic, three-set victor today in Hala, uh, uh, excuse me, in Berlin, of course. Your final match on the day, Veronica Kudermatova, 6-3-6-7-6-1 victory over Ludmilla Samsonova. Now, of course, neither of those players will be competing at the 2022 Wimbledon, but it's just worth noting for Kudermatova now, 25-12. and 12. Overall, in 2022, you look for her overall on the year. Now, she doesn't have a title, but she has made three finals. And in 12 total events this year, she's made uh, seven different quarterfinals. Again, quarterfinals in over half of your events, finals in a quarter of them. You are going to be a top 20 player in the world. You are going to be alive in the points race. And right now, Veronica Kudermatova is eighth, eighth in the WTA points race. Kudermatova, right now, who's ranked 22nd, tying her career high in the live rankings. She right now is has a spot at the year-end finals. I guarantee you there's not a single person who predicted that. However, if you go listen to our content last offseason, back in December, we circled the Kudermatovas of the world, the Teichmans of the world, those 23, 24-year-olds. Von Drusova was in that mix. Obviously, she's been extraordinarily injured this season. Samson Nova, another player we highlighted, who much like uh, Sakari last season, much like Conteve last season, had just positioned themselves for that breakthrough. Kudermatova's done that. Again, eighth in the points race. She has been exceptional. That first serve right now, Kudermatova, not a top 25 player. She ranks, I think, 48th amongst top 50 players in uh, break percentage. But right now, you look for Kudermatova. She's 10th in hold percentage. And considering the gap between the 10th place person and the third place person is less than a percentage point. Uh, yeah. And, you know, again, Osaka very much ahead of the field. Bencic, 77.4%. She's second on the WTA Tour in hold percentage this season. That will likely be an argument you include if you have her in your top five Wimbledon list. Kudermatova 10th, and the break percentage for her, while still not exceptional, has gotten significantly better. You look for Kudermatova this season breaking uh, again now 28.7% of the time. That's smack dab her career average. So, uh, you know, again, it's flatlining a bit, but it is staying constant, not as low as the 24.6 she had in her nadir a few seasons ago. Uh, that was your action in Berlin. Again, and tough for Samsonova, tough grass court season, saw a bunch of points fall off her resume. She'll lose those Wimbledon points from last year as well. She may fall outside of the top 50, the 23-year-old currently at number 45. But again, Kudermatova thriving top 20 in her sights. Sets up a really fun 
batch of matches moving forward. Now, as we look at the action in Berlin, you look at our quarterfinals, Jabor versus Sasnovich. Jabor, 83.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. That's your biggest margin on the board. The rest, slim pickings. Pliskova, last year's Wimbledon finalist versus Goff. Pliskova, 51.3% favored. Bencic, 62.7% against Kudermatova. Of course, Kudermatova beat Bencic last week, 4-2 in the Netherlands. So a little rematch action there. Kasakina against Sakari as well. That's an exceptional match. The number two seed Sakari, but Kasakina 4-0 in their career head-to-heads. Bencic, 4-4 against Kudermatova. Pliskova, 1-0 against Goff. Shabor, 2-0 against Sasnovic. Again, very good. And when I said hate to say it, more of the same, I do not hate to say those quarterfinals. That's that's good stuff heading into another championship weekend. But that's where things stand in Berlin. Let's move next now to the WTA action over in Birmingham. Three set drama aplenty. The favorite match for me on the day was broken tennis. But it was powerful tennis between Diana Yastremska and Yelena Ostapenko. Yastremska, her biggest win in quite a few seasons as she knocks off Ostapenko 3-6-7-5-7-5. Now, again, the serving, certainly erratic at times for Yastremska, who, it's crazy to think, still just 22 years old. It is Yastremska, who, of course, has gone through so many different things, whether it be her suspension from the tour. Obviously, Yastremska of Ukrainian heritage, all that that country, her family has been through over the past few months, weighing all of that while trying to maintain a top 100 ranking going to be extraordinarily difficult. I mean, that said, there are times you watch Yastremska, you're just like, is this the best athlete? On the WTA tour. Now she only made 52% of, uh, 53%, excuse me, of her first serves, but 14 aces. Yes, against nine double faults, but 14 aces there. 78%, uh, 79% first serve points won. And, you know, again, was able to break on five of her eight break point chances. The return backhand down the line winner. She hits on match point, epitomizing the explosion and spontane- spontaneity of that explosion in Yastremska's game, the unpredictability. Now, again, were there the long Longest rallies in this match? No. Ostapenko, talk about plus one power. There were some exchanges down the center in the court of this match where they're going backhand to forehand, backhand to backhand, where you're just like, oh my, like again, Godspeed for those tennis balls. Uh, but look, Yastremska could do a little bit more. Yastremska, there's a lot of Sabalenka in Yastremska, just the way, you know, again, Yastremska does have sneaky powerful first step uh you know again an extraordinary first step in my opinion when she can track the ball well she's gonna get there now what she does on the run there's a lot of different pieces sometimes it'll hit the back fence other times it'll miss the bottom of the net but other times it's a blitzed passing shot down the line or it's some sort of depth generated on uh, on the run cross court where the point is back at neutral or on this surface in particular when you don't always have your feet under you she's now in an advantageous position on the court you look for Diana Yastremska. It's been tough over the last 52 weeks for her. Now back up to 26 and 25. She's 19 and 13 here this season, including making the final run at the end of uh, February in Lyon. Quarterfinals in Dubai as well. Qualified in Madrid. First, you know, again, her second quarter, uh, third quarterfinal, excuse me, for her of the season, but uh, fourth quarterfinal because I forgot the one in Bogota. Good math here, Alex. Leave all of that in. Super producer Daniel Westoff. But, you know, again, four quarterfinals for her now this season. You look for Yastremska in terms of the points race on the year. She's 43rd. Back inside the top 50, if we're looking at just the 2022 season, she's finding more consistency week in, week out, just able to play more matches. Again, you look for her 19 and 13. She's been able to play a full schedule, 32 matches here this season. You look for Yastremska in her career on the grass courts, 14 and 11 overall. Best she's ever done, Wimbledon, round of 16 back in 2019. Beat Golubic, Kenan, Georgie before getting knocked out by Jung Shui. Yeah, I mean, with her explosion, again, how athletic she is, her comfort level, her first step as a mover, she can just extend rallies in a way others players can't on this surface. And if she can rein in that power and just, again, be consistent with it as she was at times, particularly down the home stretch of sets number two and three in this match. There's a reason the 20, you know, 22 years old, she reached the top 25 of the world before turning 20. 
There's a reason for that fact. Today was a stark reminder why, of course, you look for Ostapenko. You go back to that Middle East run, makes the finals of Dubai, or excuse me, wins the title in Dubai, semifinals in Doha, semifinals in St. Petersburg as well. You look for Ostapenko since then. She's lost seven of her last nine matches now, twice to Shelby Rogers, a loss to Conteve. But man, I mean, again, three of the losses were in three sets. One of them was five and six. But after such a promising Middle East stretch to lose five of seven for Ostapenko, particularly, again, no Wimbledon points. She won a title last year on the grass court season. Now you look for Ostapenko at the end of last year, has the Luxembourg final to defend, has, uh, but and I suppose last year's semifinals at the end of, at Indian Wells at the end of the season, but not too much to defend, really. A Cincinnati round of 16 for her after Wimbledon and that Luxembourg final. It's interesting. You look for Ostapenko right now in the live ranking. She didn't fall too far. Down to number 15 despite her loss in the round of 16 this week. Ostapenko 17th right now in the points race. Still lingering. Still lingering, but certainly a tough loss for Ostapenko. And again, a continued rough stretch just when you thought she might have uh, turned her form after her first round victory. That was the most notable match, in my opinion, of the day. Certainly that Beatriz Haddad Maya, who has not lost at all on this grass court season, that she's down 4-2 in the third to Magdalena Freak. That match suspended due to lack of light outdoors. That's a notable result. We'll keep an eye on that heading into tomorrow. Jung Shui, the victory uh, for her over Elena Gabriela Russa, 7-5 in the third. Shorji found her form escape, 6-2 in the third in two and a half hours against Lauren Davis. That's just what Lauren Davis will do to you. But that's your WTA action in Birmingham, of course. Again, 125K happening this week in Italy as well. Can't say I've watched any of the matches too closely. Most notably, Tatiana Maria upset today. Three sets over Claire Lou. Right now, you look at that match. Uh, tournament, Ali Van Utvank, 46.2% favorite to take home the title. Next is Tatiana Maria. Of course, Maria did knock out uh, Claire Lou today. Maria turning 35 years old this August. Of course, top 50 back in 2017. Currently 109. Track record of grass court success. So again, that's an interesting floater to keep an uh to keep your eye on as we head towards Wimbledon if she should be in the main draw but that's where things stand uh, after Thursday's action on the WTA tour let's now flip gears go talk about the men's side and of course we talked in depth about the men yesterday so if you're looking for more coverage of course check out yesterday's episode of the mini break podcast we'll start our men's coverage in uh, in London uh, today. Certainly, again, Matteo Berrettini, probably the only guy you'd have on your top five contender list, although Marin Cilic might want to say hello to that conversation. But Berrettini today, down a set, uh, certainly looked as though he may fall down a set and a break to Dennis Kudla as well. Faced break point chances, but ultimately, Berrettini, 3 6, 7 6, 6 4. He knocks off the lucky loser, Kudla. This was the best men's match of the day by far. Kudla just, I mean, kept Berrettini honest with his backhand down the line. And, of course, Kudla's backhand down the line, the uh, the the foreground, that's not the right word, the basis of his track record of success on grass courts. But his ability to just take the Berrettini serve on the short hop, his willingness to, you know— Kudla's down-the-line forehand is never more effective than it is on a grass court because while it's not the heaviest ball, it's just a little bit harder to move on these grass courts to run around that shot, and Kudla places that ball perfectly. It's in the backhand corner. It's you know leaning towards that backhand alley every time, and it kept Berrettini honest, and it opened up patterns for Kudla on that backhand wing. He has no problem exchanging a cross-court backhand to the Berrettini inside-out forehand, and how did Kudla keep uh, Berrettini honest? By sneaking that backhand up the line, by not allowing Berrettini to cheat over as often as he does because he was afraid Kudla was going to beat him down the line. But man, credit to Matteo Berrettini, who continues to, you know, again, be as effective as anyone on serve. 22 aces for Berrettini. He wins, uh, fights off seven of the nine break points that he faced in this match. 39 winners against 34 unforced errors with 17 of 26 at the net. Again, Kudla was accepted. 
professional. 23 winners against 33 unforced errors, but given the serving deficit, Kudla was better from the ground. Again, Kudla uh, was, if you take away the serves, Kudla, 18 winners to what, uh, Berrettini's, let's see, minus 22. He had 18 winners to Berrettini, 17 from the ground. Kudla matched him. Like he he changed direction extraordinarily well. He's the guy who's probably most disappointed. There will be no points offered at Wimbledon because when you look for Dennis Kudla right now, currently sitting at 78 in the rankings. Yeah, there's not a doubt in my mind. He would again, if he draws an unseated player, he's going to be favored in that grass court match. You look for Dennis Kudla. I suppose for all of you, I'll go over the grass court record quickly for him because he is a guy you have to put on your sleeper list to if the draw breaks correctly, maybe even make the round of 16 as he's done it before. He's 78 and 47 in his career on grass courts. Of course, if you want to go ATP specifically, Kudla still 26 and 25. That includes obviously that run to the fourth round of Wimbledon back in 2015. He was third round Wimbledon last year, lost to Djokovic. Second round Wimbledon 2019, lost to Djokovic. Guy shows up. For these grass court events, there's a reason he continues to have success. Obviously, a plethora of challenger success on grass. He's 28 and 11, and if he's drawing an unseated guy, many of those unseated guys will have competed on the challenger level earlier this year. You know, again, beat Dan Evans on a grass court last year, beat Andy Murray on a grass court this year. Kudla's got the goods, and despite his loss to Matteo Berrettini today, I would, and I don't think anyone is writing him off as one of those dark horse candidates to do damage at the 2022 Wimbledon, but of course, again, Berrettini since 2019, Goffin, Djokovic, Federer. Only three players he's lost to on grass courts. Of course, you look for him during that course of time on the grass. Obviously, made the Wimbledon final last year, but 12 and 2 in 2019, 11 and 1 last year on the grass. You look for him now. Uh, certainly this season, 6 and 0 as well. That's that's a ridiculous amount of success. What 29 and 3 on grass courts since the start of 2019. That first serve, just exceptional. He's holding over 92% of the time on grass courts since 2019. It's elite of the elite. He does enough to earn the one break of serve he needs in each and every set. Or again, you look for him on the grass courts in tiebreakers. He's uh, now 14-4 and four since 2019 in grass court tiebreakers. Yeah, the guy's got the goods. And for him to start off this grass court season, six consecutive victories given the health issues he had and on inability to play at Roland Garros to get a bunch of matches under his belt to have success in them and to be pushed. He's played three sets in four of the six matches he's played. The other one, six and six against Oscar Ota. Like, this is exactly the warm-up you're looking for. If you were a Berrettini fan, he's unequivocally in everyone's top five list, uh, obviously given he's, what, right now number two in grass court specific ELO, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Berrettini, Kudla, best match of the day. That's one you go rewatch if you're going to pick any. Berrettini, three-set victory. Your player of the day was Tommy Paul, who was just everything you hope he could be in a 6-1-6-4 victory today over Stan Wawrinka. Break Stan in the opening game of the match, two backhand down the line winners, moving extraordinarily well, comfortable hitting the volley, comfortable moving forward, snapping the rally ball with more frequency than I'm accustomed to seeing from him. He just is more comfortable being aggressive shot in, shot out than he once was. And for Tommy Paul now, went over Shapovalov uh, you know, to beat Stan, get to his first uh, quarterfinal for him since what? Back in uh, back in Acapulco, back in February, it, there it was a tough stretch for Tommy Paul. He lost six of seven matches between Esterol uh, and uh, and this and the start here of London. Bounces back, gets to a quarterfinal, probably plays his best tennis of the year in that victory. Again, makes sixty three percent of his first serves, fights off all five break points that he faces, wins about seventy percent of his service points for the match, and just absorbed everything stand through at him. Got Stan stretched. Was it was Stan as good on serve? Do you have a bit more dead legs than he did against Francis? Absolutely. But Tommy was just exceptional. And again, all the flashes because he's always been good at everything. He's always been a plus athlete, one of the best pound-for-pound athletes in terms of just quickness, 
quick twitch explosion on the ATP tour. He's also got maybe the best jawline on the ATP tour. Uh, yeah, like this is everything you hope for if you're a fan of Tommy Paul. Now he's gaining some momentum heading into Wimbledon. Currently ranked number 35 is Tommy Paul with his victories this week up to number 34. No Rublev, no Medvedev, no uh, Alex Virev. What does that mean? And I only needed to say two of those names, but Tommy Paul will be seated at the 2022 Wimbledon. Interessante, uh, because if he can sustain this level, he's absolutely a player to watch. The shocker of the day, Krajinovic, three sets over Sam Query. That match was just weird. I mean, Krajinovic, not a guy you'd drop as a clay, uh, as a guy who'd have a success on the grass courts, but credit to him, I suppose. The, I mean, again, the big story is Ryan Penniston, the wild card former University of Memphis standout into his first ATP quarterfinal. Uh, he earns a three-set victory today over Francisco Sarundolo. And I mean, for Ryan Penniston, who again, and I talked about this earlier in the week following his, uh, you know, his uh, big victory over Kasparud, he had made three challenger finals, all of them in the past 10 months, but he'd never won a challenger title. Never won an ATP level match, was outside the top 150, you know, comes into the week ranked 180 in the world by making this quarterfinal. Penniston's inside the top 150. 26 years old, up to a live ranking of number 145. You look for Penniston next in the draw. He's going to take on the aforementioned Philip Kranovich, who, again, on paper, no distinct advantage on this grass court surface. Much like Timmy Van Reithoven last week, Penniston is just swinging freely. I mean, you look for him on the first serve, made 66% of them, won 73% of those points, fought off five of seven breakpoint chances, 17 winners against 22 unforced errors. The backhand's flat. Uh, uh, the backhand may be flat, but again, it his ability to redirect pace, his ability to absorb pace, his ability to scoot that ball up the line, particularly effective on this surface, how low it stays. He's comfortable moving forward, and he's just playing so freely. He's playing with house money, and again, against Krajinovic is a winnable match, and if Penniston's able to win that match, he will jump all the way up to number 125 in the world. Now you're talking, maybe I can get into a Winston-Salem main draw on my own ranking. I can go play qualifying at 250 events as opposed to maybe going to play more challengers. There are now options for Ryan Penniston. And again, he just moves the ball so well. You see the joy in his face. The crowd has fully gone about embracing him. That's what makes this sport so special. Tough loss for Sarandolo, certainly, although again, still getting his grass court legs under him. I looked better uh, than he had early in his career, but credit to Penniston. That's an extraordinary victory. And again, you look at our quarterfinals now uh, over in Hala. Peniston, a 42.5% underdog against Krajinovic. Uh, you've got Chilich versus Rusevori. Davidovich, Fok- uh, by the way, first time matchups there. Uh, Rusevori versus in Chilich. Davidovich, Fokina versus Botic. That's a lot of creativity on one court. First career head to head matchup. Then Tommy versus Berrettini. Uh, of course, uh, Tommy Paul, 1 0. In his career, had to head against Matteo Berrettini that match coming in Acapulco earlier this season. Berrettini forced to retire uh, from that match. That's the only time the two have played. With that said, that's your action in London. Let's move over now to Hala. This was a very straightforward day of tennis, in my opinion. At least, yeah, there was some three-set drama. Bautista Gut versus Greek Spore was exactly what I thought it would be. A grind, two extraordinarily well-rounded players. And look, Bautista Gut, one of the, uh, you look overall on the men's side, I don't want to get this incorrect, there are uh, 11 players on the men's side who rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. There are eight players who rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. RBA is quietly one of those eight players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. You look for RBA, sneaky successful on the year. 19 and 7 made you know finals in Doha and you know good I suppose third round run at the Australian Open has just been pretty solid everywhere now we only saw him play one clay court event in Madrid and certainly that helps pad the stats for RBA from the advanced analytics perspective but you know again RBA's been pretty darn solid this season. Now, there are some losses. Alcaraz, not bad, but Brooksby, Evans, Vesley, you know, 
Bublik. You don't love losses to Fritz, FAA, certainly explainable. I mean, RBA is just really solid right now. Again, from a floor perspective, going to make a ton of balls, going to bait you into challenging his on-the-run forehand, going to sneak that on-the-run forehand by you. Another great athlete on this surface who's just able to do some things in the outer thirds. I am very excited for his matchup tomorrow against Daniil Medvedev because, of course, Medvedev's never beaten RBA. RBA 2-0 in the career head-to-head. Medvedev 59.4% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Of course, Medvedev another physical but successful 7-6-6 three victory what he can do on this surface as a mover just laughable and of course it always helps to be six foot six and have his serve but that's one quarterfinal you've got oscar ota taking on karen hachanov ota uh, ultimately four six six love seven six he advances uh today in a victory over baslishvili you look for ota 52 and 25 now in his last 52 weeks that of course also includes success for him at the challenger level as he has won two, three challenger titles in his last 52 weeks, but you look for him this season, 18 and 16 overall. The big thing, he's only played one match at the challenger level. So again, in his career uh, for Oscar Ota at the ATP level, he's got 22 career victories. Uh, okay, so they've they've cut out qualifying. Excuse me. You look for him this season. 14 and 12 if you cut out qualifying. So again, 14 of his 22 career victories at the ATP level have come this season. He's 14-2 and two in main draw play. Quarterfinals in Belgrade, semifinals in Munich, semifinals in Stuttgart, now quarterfinals in Halle as well. It's a hell of a two-month stretch for the 28-year-old who currently sits at a new career-high live ranking 42 with his success here in Halle. You look for Oscar Ota overall on the year 40th in the points race. Yeah, he's been a top 50 guy. Throughout the course of this season, again, 28 years old, smack dab in the prime of his career. That's what you would expect. His combination fluidity, creativity. You know, he plays like someone who's six foot six. In reality, I think he's six foot four, but he can move like someone who's six foot four. It's funky, but it's fun. And again, I, I joke around. It's everything we hoped Max Cressy would be. So that's a heck of a victory for Ota today, uh, who now is going to take on Karen Hachanov. Hachanov, 7-6-6-4, overcomes an early break, sloppy play to steal that first set, kind of coast from there after an early break, breaks right away in the second to 7-6-6-4. Again, really good matchups over in Hala. Medvedev RBA, Ota versus Hachanov. Hercots versus FAA, Carreno Busta versus Kyrgios. Championship weekend is going to be exciting this week on the ATP and WTA Tour. And of course, we'll have cover coverage of all of it here on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you aren't already, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of our coverage. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at AL Gruskin. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 